Welcome to Geared for Growth. This week, a very special interview. We've got Charles Tarby, who is the chairman and owner of Century 21 Australasia. So Charles obviously sits at the top of a huge real estate network in Australia and has vast experience heading all the way back to 1972 when he began his career in real estate. We have a chat with Charles about the Century 21 network and how he got to where he is. He's got some great advice for property investors and some insights into what's happening in the real estate market in Australia. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Charles Tarby, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thank you, Mike. Now, um, probably a silly question as your sort of reputation precedes you, but can you let us uh, know uh, who you are and what you do? Uh, Yeah, look, I've been in real estate uh, since I left school back in uh, late 71, 72, and uh, fell into that role only because I was waiting for my HSC results and I got a job cleaning flats. Ended up staying in the industry. Um, I wasn't sure it was for me, but everywhere I turned, I found myself back part of the industry. And uh, so I wanted to sell because it looked to me like that's where the money was. And in the early days, when you're a young man, that's what you think about. It's not until later years you realise that what you do is more important and uh, money follows what you do. And, and, And so I became a salesperson at the age of 18 out at Emu Plains. Um, about three years later, uh, there's a you know working in between there. But three years later, I had a chance to buy uh, the business I worked in, yep. and uh, I'd made a little bit of money out of a property I bought when I was 18, uh, yep. and and the the growth was good in that uh, uh, two or three year period. So it gave me the uh, financial. Uh, well-being to go and open a real estate agency. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I lived by the philosophy then, I think, that anything is possible when you don't know what you're doing because if if I knew what I was doing, I probably would have talked uh, myself out of it, but yep. that's the way things happen. Uh, and and, no and to be afraid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so um, uh, I'm not sure where it was in that early stage uh, of um, my career. I didn't have a lot of support. Uh, family members were a bit disappointed. Yeah. Uh, I think boarding school, they expected me to become a doctor or a lawyer or something of that nature. But nonetheless, um, I managed to move it forward by my first, uh, second office uh, very, very quickly. And third office, fourth office, fifth office, you can hear them ringing right now in the background. And and by the time I was around 25, I had uh, five offices. And I was approached by an American franchise to change, um, and I jokingly said to the chap, I'm going to do it myself, uh, and he uh, told me I, I couldn't. Yeah. And that was the start of Combined Real Estate, a company I built to 56 offices. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, in the early 90s that uh, Century 21 US Parent approached me, mm-hmm. after I'd already approached them in the, in the um, mid-80s, and uh, talked about an opportunity which ended up with my acquiring Century 21 Australasia in 1995 off the US parent. So it's it's been around that uh, uh, sort of thing. Uh, in that time, set up an IT business that today caters for our franchisees with CRMs yep. uh, and websites uh, and uh, social media search engine optimization platforms. Yep. Um, and uh, in that period of time, I secured an 8,000 property management portfolio in Sydney, Melbourne and Perth yep. uh, to bolster the business yep. and expand it. So that's where the business sits today. I don't have any partners or shareholders uh, in the business. It's, so it's still 100% uh, owned uh, and and I, I guess at some point in time in the future something's going to change because my yeah. children are not interested in real estate because I asked them to think about what they wanted to do with their lives and to pursue that and that's what they're doing. Yep. 
Now, this um, IT company that, that you, you mentioned, now we're, we're talking back around 1986, is that right? Yeah, I started it with a PC-based uh, platform, a CRM, that uh, um, operated off the systems from, from the documentation. So somewhere in, in my, my early 20s, uh, somebody told me to write things down. 1978, I've got my first diary in my study. And, and have them all lined up. And it, uh, it was at that point in time of, of writing things down, planning my day, making mistakes, uh, correcting mistakes, that manuals were developed. Yep. And those manuals became an operating system. Yep. And that operating system, I, I recognised, needed to be applied from a technology point of view. Yep. So the system was written with a young chap who did the coding for me and it was written on COBOL, still around, right. very old operating system. I was going to say, this is yeah. this is quite some time ago, it if, was, you, if you don't yeah. mind me saying. I mean, there wouldn't have been an SEO component. No, no, we, it, it, we were, um, uh, I guess, excited to watch um, a typewriter. Yep print a memorised letter, right. you know, so it's pretty big days. <laughs> but yeah, it was an early operating uh, side and in the late 90s I bought a small IT company that was operating and converted everything to web-based yep. and relaunched in 2002. So since 2002 the company's been web-based, um, yep. uh, broadcasting uh, to clients, uh, it's, uh, we've had seller login platforms since then, it's been quite quite extraordinary. And, and, and we've actually probably kept ahead of our agents more than anything else, because we're still struggling to teach our agents to understand yeah. uh, while we keep adding on to the system, because yeah. it's now version 9 being launched at the end of this month, November. Right. Yeah. Which for me sounds like something a bit unusual in the industry. It's always like, oh, you know, head office are backwards and, you know, they need to keep up with the technology, but you're driving it from the front. Oh, we, uh, we you know, there are some franchisees that can give us some great ideas. There are others that will ring me and suggest ideas, which I would tell them it's already in the system. They should yeah. have known about that two years ago. <laughs> so I think we, we keep each other very well balanced from yeah. that perspective. Now, you've sort of glossed over a, a, a big part of that journey, and that is how you actually go from a baby-based property sales mm. agent to acquiring such a, a massive amount of offices. Mm. You must have been terribly good at what you do. Uh, I think it was just the dream more than anything else. I, I, mean, I, I, I did read a lot of books, I did go to a lot of seminars, I listened to as many people as I could uh, and still do. Uh, but the the thing is, I think, is that there was a point there where goals um, I found were restrictive, right? And that was a big change for me. I don't I don't have long term goals anymore. Right. Uh, I have short term objectives, yeah. And uh, those short term objectives can be you know today or this week or towards the end of the month. Yeah. And I find that. With those short-term objectives and then a long-term vision or a long-term dream which is malleable yeah. and flexible yeah. because I when I was a young guy I had a dream that I wanted to own a, a Holden GTR XU1 right. well I didn't realize that I could do more than that right so when I set those limitations on myself uh, they did become limitations and I do remember saying that you know one day I'd, I'd like to have 90 offices in Sydney yeah I didn't even think about Australia or New Zealand or New Guinea yeah. and so I think when you start uh, when you get when you get to that point where you recognize that that goals can be somewhat dis destructive for certain mm -hmm. people uh, and that you create short-term objectives 
that you can achieve basic things each day, it's amazing how when you turn around at the end of the year, you've, you've built something. Yeah. It's like laying a brick in your back garden. Uh, you know, you, you put 500 bricks out there and you just lay one, and at the end of the year, you end up with a barbecue. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what it is. So nothing special, it's just what I wanted to do, and yeah. I, I had a reasonable vision of what it looked like. It never turned out the way I thought. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's what it is. I think it sort of goes against many of the tech textbooks. We're, we're taught we're supposed to have a long-term plan, yeah. but I think yeah. that psychology is now telling us that maybe a 60-day action plan okay. or a 90-day well, is, I is, didn't is know that. Better, I didn't know that, but I, I just have to say to you that um, if you plan your life, uh, how boring. Yeah. How boring is that? And, and I think that you've got to have some surprises. And as you walk down the hallway of life, which is the first thing, is walking down that hallway, there are all these doors. And you open up, there's something different. And I think that that's the problem. Most people stand at the start of the hallway and look down and it just looks too dark and they don't even enter. Yeah. And I know a lot of people that work just as hard as me, if not harder. Yeah. But the difference between people that work hard and, 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 uh, and achieve and those that work hard and don't achieve, I think is that one of them lacks ambition. Right. They put the same effort in, but they don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all it is. And do you think that, that, that sometimes that ambition is actually just tied up in a material goal or I want to get the XU1? And yeah, that's right. Like oh, lost? yeah. Those sorts of objectives, are, uh, <clears throat> to me, are, uh, or visions, are part of the reason you do what you do. They shouldn't be the reason. I mean, if you want to live in a big house, you can live in a big house. Uh, but it's really about achievement. It's If you set out to achieve things that create... For me, anyway, this, this may not apply to others, but when you achieve things that give other people benefit, yep. uh, so if I create something in this company that allows a salesperson to perform better, yep. and they provide a better service to their customer, then somewhere in that, um, I, f I find a financial reward, but yeah. I also find an emotional reward. Yeah. And I, I think money's easy to make, but I don't think reputations are easy to build. No, correct. Yeah, and look, I want to talk about um, the investor journey as well, mm. but getting back to the real estate side of things, how would you sort of describe the industry today compared to when you started? What, yeah. what, what's the difference in... in the the, the only difference is the way we deliver our message. Yeah. Uh, instead of a, a fax, we might send uh, an email. Instead of a, a letter to a client or, or, or a flyer, we might send an electronic broadcast. Yeah. Um, so I think it's the way we deliver our message. I still think that the best salespeople and the best people in any industry are the ones that have that contact-to-contact, -contact, voice voice-to-voice, belly-to-belly, voice-to-voice process. Yeah. I think you can send lots of people lots of things. But if you don't follow up the conversation, you don't really get to the bottom of it. Yeah. I say to a lot of the generation that work in my company now, oh, did you uh, get in touch with such and such? And I said, yes, I sent them an email. I said, that's not what I asked yeah, you. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that the only thing that's changed is the way in which we deliver our message. And if you look at the last five years of real estate in Australia where it's been a, a boom sort of cycle, the agents that are socially media savvy have done very well yep. because they look pretty, they look fantastic, uh, they present a certain way. And the market sold their property, sold the property, not the agent. True, now we're yeah. back, we're back. Yeah. Uh, we're back in that environment where I tell people there's only two types of markets we're ever in. One way we get the buyer up to meet what the seller, what they think is the seller's ridiculously high price, and that's yeah. called a boom. And the other where we get the buyer down to meet what they think 
is the purchaser's ridiculously low offer, yeah. and that's called real estate, and that's yeah. what we're in 90% of the yeah. time. And that's that's what cuts the width from, from the chaff, I guess. That's yes. the hard market. It requires communication. It requires a lot of time with people to, to help them understand, to see uh, what's happening. If, uh, as I say to all my team, if you build a relationship, yeah. the, the conditions are negotiable. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing. And this is why I say to buyers, investors, uh, don't wait for the agent to call you. If you want the best property, build a relationship with a good agent. Yeah. Take in a coffee to them once a week. See how they're going. When something comes up, you are top of mind. Yeah. That's and, the difference. And, and that's something I definitely want to talk about is, is, is how investors need to sort of leverage their, their real estate agent, whether it be, sure, a property that they might be, might be selling or whether they're looking for, for an investment. But just just getting back to, to yourself for one one second, you're 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 part of the furniture on your empire, regularly yeah. quoted in the media. I'm sure you're in a position where you could quite comfortably put your feet up, but sure. you choose not yeah. to do that. You're you're on Facebook visiting everyone across Australia or your offices. How important is it for you to maintain your sort of position and your voice within the industry? Yeah, I I don't think that. Um achieving certain things. I guess, yeah, I, I, I don't have to work, I could sell this business and, and that, but I don't think that's what it's about. Um, I, I see so much, so much experience wasted mm-hmm. when people retire. And I think that also, if, if a person expects to retire and be the same person that they were before retirement, yeah. they're going to be really terribly, sadly mistaken. Because you change. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know whether people notice this but it's amazing how much work you get done before you go on a holiday mm-hmm. because of that short term deadline yep. but it's also even more amazing how sick you sometimes get within the first week of your holiday yes. because you've slowed down and everything else is caught up with you yeah. uh, so I, I think staying active staying part of not having to drive it but being part of contributing is a really important part of it yep. uh, and uh, and so I've got a number of ventures on the go and 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 they keep me very busy, but I notice that uh, if, say, over Christmas, I get a few days to myself, the days still go, they still move along, everything yeah. still moves along. So I don't see any reason why people should look towards building a retirement plan yeah. where they stop working. Yeah. Now, getting back to, to disrupt, disruption, keyword you sort of mentioned there, there's been quite a lot happening in the real estate space. Yeah. Um, yes. Brick X, Purple Bricks. Um, Open agent, local yeah, agent, exactly. finder, buymyplace.com. Yeah. I can go down a, a significant list for you. Yeah, yeah. So um, what, what do you see for, for, the, for the industry? And, and yeah. I know there's some things that you're involved in in that space as I, well. I don't see them as disruptors. I used to. Yeah. Uh, I now see it as constructive evolution. And that term was delivered to me by the ex-CEO of CoreLogic, Graham Mirabito. He said, you're looking at it the wrong way. And when I started looking at it the other way, I recognised there was opportunity with those businesses. They've all been there for a long time. People have been selling their properties privately. There have been agents discounting their commissions for years. They're there. They're just more visible and and they're a little bit more structured. So I I think I welcome the disruption because it's taught me that if uh, a local agent finder or an open agent can find leads for agents, then why can't I? That's what we do. Yep. And so it's taught us to learn how to sharpen the saw. Yep. 
And, and do you see any, any, I guess, strong movements in these sort of organisations that are offering to help sell your property online at a reduced fee? Do you, do you see the agent as always being a crucial part of that transaction, the relationship? I do, and they do too, yep. because unless they want to go into real estate, you know, yep. they wouldn't be referring. The, the sad part about a lot of those industries is that they, they have a, their, their repre representation, or yep. the way they present themselves, is not correct. Yep. Um, you know, finding the best agent uh, and and it doesn't cost you anything. Story is not true. Yeah. You know they will find the best agent they think might sell a house, and they will pick up a percentage of that agent's commission. They're not yeah. in business to help you find the best agent. Yeah. That's only part of it. They're yeah. in business because they take a percentage of the agent's commission. Yeah. So um, they don't always find the best agents because not always the best agents want to use their service. Yeah. So there, there is a little bit of concern around the way in which that's presented. Uh, you know, there's companies that say, you don't pay any agent commission, but they don't tell you that you pay a lump sum up front. Yes. And if you don't sell, you don't get that back. Yeah. They and don't tell you that. And rather than maybe having the best agent in your area, you're having the agent that's most likely to agree to a highest commission to them. Correct. So they're yeah. buying the business in a way. Yeah, and if you're paying somebody up front, I mean, the job is not, not nowhere near well and truly over. It hasn't yeah. even started at yeah. that point. Exactly. So, and this is why I like the incentive. I wouldn't have no, I'd have no problem paying an agent a higher fee yeah. if they give me the best result. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, if I you're mean, we're talking about a real estate asset. We're yeah. not talking about a, a, a second-hand motor car. Yeah, exactly. It's, it mm. may be the most expensive thing or the most important thing you mm. own financially. It's not worth cutting the corners. No. I'm a bit of a, a data nerd, and I, I guess I can't help but wonder, with the power of the Century 21 network, mm. what sort of data you're able to collect. It's not a privacy question, but more no, no. about like what is what it's, is the industry telling us? It's a very, very important question because, you know, for, from my perspective, um, because we operate in real time and have done for the last 15 years, every office, every salesperson, right down to the second, can find out exactly what their conversion ratios are, yep. what the average commissions should be, what their median price is, uh, how long a property sits on the market. I can see that. I can pick up my iPhone and zero down to a single salesperson in New, in, in, in Fakatani in New Zealand right. and, and see how they're performing right yep. now. And so, so from my perspective, an agent knowing their position at all times is absolutely critical. Yep. A lot of agents will, will tell you what their position is based on the last seminar they went to. Right. Uh, our agents can tell in real time just by going to the system exactly how they're structured in a suburb, what their ratios are, what their conversion ratios are, and they can present that to a client. Yep. So from my perspective, that data tells me a lot. I keep data every year, sorry, every week around four stats, yep. around auction clearance rates, around rent movement, around listing numbers, and around vacancy rates. I've been yep. doing that for five years, and I can see the trends in the marketplace. Uh, you can go back and see, you can almost pinpoint where the market started to move and change based on those trends. Yep. And, uh, and so I, I sprout those trends every week, whether it's on radio or TV, yeah. because I think it's important for people to track that movement. Yeah. So data is critical. And comparing, say, the data that you collect to RP data, mm -hmm. which relies on value in generals, maybe it's two or three months until Sometimes it is, yeah. Yeah, so, so we're talking real time. We're talking real time here. So when they talk about listing numbers, I'm already, we're already ahead of that yeah. game. Or when they talk about median price or, uh, of a certain suburb, um, we already know that. Yep. Uh, so yes, and that's why they're all moving to that. They're all moving to try to capture real-time data from agents. And, yep. and they're doing that in a number of ways. Uh, uh, so uh, they'll get there. Yep. Uh, and we certainly rely 
on a CoreLogic RP data very heavily because if you walk into one of our open for inspections, as at the end of this month, uh, you, you tab in what you want, put your name in, put your email address in, tick, I'd like a building report, I'd like a contract, I'd like an automated valuation model, yep. hit the save button, walk through, it pings your phone, and now all of a sudden you've got a list of properties for sale, a list of properties sold, and, and an average uh, range of 15% as to what the property you've walked into might be worth. Yeah, wow. And so all of those things uh, only come about because CoreLogic are capturing the data and they're now valuing properties every week. Yep. In the US, they value them every day through their automated process. Yep. And we tap into that through, through an API straight yep. into our uh, CRM, which allows, see all these acronyms, yeah, yeah, which, yeah, which, yeah, allows, uh, which allows our agents to see everything as it's happening. Yep. Now, I would hazard a guess to say that property investors are used to having a relationship with their property manager. Yep. You, you would hope so, at the very least. But with sales agents, I don't think it's a it's a, it's a typical strong relationship. Mm-hmm. They would they would find a property, or maybe they use a buyer's agent that goes you know through an agent. How can an investor leverage a local real estate agent to help them buy an investment it, property? It really that's a really important question. As I mentioned earlier, if you build a relationship. You, you can get things done. And I, I, I think that a lot of people have this expectation. You hear a lot of these things where people say, the agent never call me back. Now, for me, if I were an investor, I'd see that as an advantage. Right. I would, I would find the right agent in the area and I, was, and I would hound them. Yeah. Because I, I know as an agent that when I got something that came up for sale, immediately, you know, now we might use a, a CRM to search. But... In those days, you would immediately go through your mind as to who you've dealt with. Then you'd go through your file box to see who you thought it might match. Yeah. Now, if somebody was in my face nicely on yeah. a regular basis, they would come to mind straight away. Yeah. And I do think it should be the other way around. I mean, good agents, in my view, will build relationships with their clients, but a good investor or a smart investor will build a relationship with an agent. Yep. Yeah. And, and how would you recommend an investor sort of, I guess, source an agent that they think is going to be trustworthy and working in their mm-hmm. best interest? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the the agent is generally paid by the vendor yes. rather than the purchaser. Yeah. There are a lot of good agents out there, a lot of really good agents. There are a lot of agents that just move along, very nice people and do okay. Yeah. Uh, but the best way to sort out which agents are the best, uh, there's a couple of ways. Uh, you, you, you don't go onto the sites that rate real estate agents. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do, and that's sad because a lot of those sites are self-rating. Right. So uh, any, if you look at some of those sites, you will never see anything negative about the agent because right. it's filtered. Yeah. So again, it's misrepresenting the true nature of that agent's mm-hmm. um, failure or success. I've always said to, uh, to people, if you really want to pick a good agent, don't go uh, with the agent's got the most for sale sites yeah. because that agent is not competitive. Right. Uh, if I was selling my property, I, you look around the area and you see one agent's signs and you think, oh yeah, wow, they're active. But yeah. if, if I give them my house, I'm now putting my property yeah. with, an, with a whole bunch of people that haven't sold. Yeah. I look for the agents with the sole signs yeah. when, I'm, when I'm making a decision on who to use. And I will tap on the door of a few of those sale signs. Yeah. And if I get the seller, not the, land, not the tenant, I'll ask them. Yeah. And that's the best reference you'll ever get yeah, well, about about uh, which agent to use. I even heard some stories about um, people, uh, real estate agents, giving someone a carton of beer to put a for sale sign up in there. Well, it's, up in their, that's know. illegal, of course. Uh, you right. know, it, uh, uh, it's it, you know, it's, uh, some agents will see that as marketing, sharp marketing. But no, it's it, again, that's that in itself is false and misleading. Yeah. And so I think that 
and if you if you, there's a lot of young enthusiastic agents that haven't sold anything so I'm being a bit unfair to them in that sense because when I was a young agent I really didn't know what was going on but I was enthusiastic and people would look at me as a 21 year old pimple faced kid yep. uh, with my own real estate office and I first thing I'd say to them was look um, I know that I might look young but yep. let me just say to you what I don't no, when you ask me, I know people that do know the answers and I'll find it out for you, but I will run around every, everywhere for you to find the right home if that's what yeah. you want me to do. And you're and using your weakness as a strength there, correct. right? Because they're sort of thinking, this guy's got to prove himself. Yeah. He's going to be active for me. Correct. And that, again, is that relationship building process. So you can go on social media, you can go on uh, on agent rating sites, you can go on all those things, but really you've got the agents talking about themselves. Yeah. Okay. And, and I think that's uh, that's really the wrong place to go if you're a seller. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about the, the property market, Charles. Obviously, you've got your finger on the pulse with the data. I, I wanted to ask about um, auction clearance rates. Yeah. I know that auctions aren't as, as prevalent in Brisbane as they are in Melbourne Sydney or, and Melbourne. Yeah. How, how good of an indicator are they of mm. the overall health of the market? And does... Does Sydney and Melbourne sort of speak for the regional areas as well in terms of what's happening? Yeah, look, auctions are a very unique proposition. Um, they shouldn't be used mm-hmm. on every property. Yep. I mean, you, if you've got 10 homes for sale in the same area that look uh, similar, yep. uh, why would you risk getting pest report, building report, loan approvals, turn up to an auction where you, you might miss out? Yep. So a lot of people won't go that way. But auctions are definitely, and people can see the values. If you've got 10 houses similar, you can see what it's going to be yeah. like. But when you get something different, unique, um, it's very hard to value those properties. Properties. Yeah. So auctions do speak loudly, particularly in Melbourne. Melbourne's the capital. I mean, in this week uh, just gone, and we're now in uh, November uh, 2017. This weekend just gone, Melbourne only had 309 auctions because of the Melbourne Cup game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they still had a clearance rate of 77.3%. Right. Uh, last week, they had 1,983 auctions, right. and they had a clearance rate of 73.4%. Right. So it gives you an indication that there's still a lot of activity there. Sydney was always in the 70s and 80s, and that's declined in this last week, and they had 1,217 auctions in Sydney in the weekend just gone, uh, and their clearance rate was 67.4%. Right. But, but you know, it still gives you an indication there may not be as many buyers that are pushing the prices up, but if you sold 7 out of 10 properties that went up for sale, to me, that's a very, very good marketplace. Yeah. So they do give you an indication, but they do tell you also that the market is changing. It's not so much the clearance rates uh, or the numbers, it's the it's that percentage change that you really want to watch. Yes. And what's what I see now, when I, when I tap 67.4% and then I look at the fact that the listing numbers increased this week over last week by 2.53%, well, you know, supply and demand. Yep. So you start to see that next time they go and look at a property that's uh, in an area where there where there's average properties, I'm probably going to make an offer. Yeah, I'm not going to jump in and, and buy straight away. Yeah. And that that's the sort of little indicators that that you get yeah. that people miss because they don't watch those numbers every week. Yeah, or they go and buy an investment property in Hobart. What they didn't see is that last week the rents in Hobart dropped by 2.11 percent. Right. And that's because all of a sudden you've got a lot of people buying in Hobart as investors, and now do you have the rent rental population yeah. to satisfy that? And what the rent might have been today could be very, very different in, in three months' time. And then all of a sudden, if if you see interest rates move, that's a double whammy to an investor. Yeah. 
And, and the media's jumped on Hobart pretty strongly. Mm. I mean, it's not a huge city, so obviously there's going to be a real change in the supply dynamic as Correct. the investors Correct. come in. For the benefit of, of listeners as well, Charles has got no uh, aids, he's got no uh, numbers or facts or figures written down. He's obviously um, lives and breathes these stats. Um, I wanted to chat about um, the state of the market at the moment. Obviously, yep. APRA has come in and sort of hit investors with a bit of a sledgehammer. Uh, do you see that as a, as, a, as a big move in the property market? And, and, and what, do you think that the heat is coming off Australia-wide? Yeah, I don't like the fact that, that I'm being told how I should invest. Yeah. That part I don't like. But then again, as an investor myself in the early days, I would have done things that I would not recommend to other people. Yeah. So having equity in, in the good old days meant that I could borrow what I liked. Yeah. Having equity today without the cash flow through means I can't borrow what I want. So I'm being told how to invest. So I don't particularly like that. But I do think for the overall population of the overall investor who's a part-time investor, that's probably a good thing. Uh, The slowdown in the marketplace is not not so much a slowdown. It's more more a levelling out. Sydney market went crazy for one reason and one reason only. And that was going... It started a a dozen plus years ago whenever the car government was... And I can't remember when that was. When they put the Vindor exit tax on and it stopped people from investing in Sydney and they started to move to places like Brisbane and... um, and all of a sudden, and Perth, and, and the mining boom in Perth, and you start to see the prices of properties in those areas become disproportionate uh, to, to the Sydney prices. Yeah. Uh, you would sell something in Western Sydney years and years and years ago, you'd go to Queensland, buy something better, and still have cash left over. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, they're almost equal. Yeah. And so Sydney went crazy only because it, it, it fell so far behind, not for any other reason. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of overseas interest and, and so on, but it needed to catch up, and it needed to be 20 or 30 percent to 40 percent greater than Queensland and it was and flat for a long time that's right people forget that they just kind of see there's a housing affordability yeah. crisis because we've got look this floor we're sitting in right now I purchased this floor in, in the CBD of Sydney 10 years ago right. for 2.4 million and it sat at 2.4 million right. up until two years ago yeah right. and now the agents are suggesting that they've got buyers for six and a quarter million right. so it's it's really crazy because the interest rates came down People who purchase strata realise it's cheaper for them to uh, own their own property than to rent. Yeah. So it, it's those market conditions you've got to watch and yeah. you've got to watch at the changes. So I think it's levelled out. I think Brisbane uh, is starting to get a little bit of upside. I think Perth has now hit the bottom and starting to get some upside. Yeah. I think Melbourne is starting to edge towards a levelling market, yeah. as, as has Sydney. And I think places like Hobart um, and um, Northern Territory, which is a place unto its own, yeah. that to me it's become another Asian city yes. uh, because of, of its proximity. I think Darwin, uh, Hobart will, will slowly come backwards in pricing. Yeah. So, but when I say backwards, nothing spectacular. Uh, you know, the only things that will impact on that are unemployment and high interest rates, and those two things don't look likely at the moment. Yeah, yeah, especially interest rates. Looks like that's going to be on hold for a while. I, I came across. Um, do you need? Um, can I give you one more question? I came across a, a cheeky photo of yourself um, and two, uh, I guess, franchisees. You sort of labelled them, and that was uh, Scott Morrison and uh, and the Prime Minister himself. Um, obviously, we were, the, the subject there was negative gearing. It was. To touch yes. on that uh, very very kindly invited myself and and four other people to a meeting on negative yep. gearing. Yes. 
Now, obviously, the, the property industry was pretty active um, the last uh, election. What, what, what can we expect to see from the property industry coming up to the next election? And where do you see, uh, I guess, what's your views on, on negative gearing and mm. the impact that that would have on property? Yeah, negative gearing is a business. Mm-hmm. And it, it's money in, money out. Uh, so I understand why it's there. If the government decides to make that more difficult, and if you look at uh, Victorian government right now uh, slapping on all sorts of different things against landlords, then you better be prepared as a a state government or as a federal government to come up with a better housing policy because in the past, uh, handing that over to governments hasn't been a wonderful thing. So I think if you touch it, you're going, to re, you're going to remove the incentive. If you remove the incentive, investors will go elsewhere and we'll have a housing crisis on top of the housing crisis we already have now. We have significant red tape, green tape in, in Australia uh, to the extent where hundreds of thousands of properties could have been built and haven't been because of councils, uh, local councils. Um, and, and I think that if the more government gets involved in this process, the more likely they are to create future problems. Yep. Oh, I think it's there, it works. Uh, you want to make some minor adjustments to it, that's great, but it is a business like any other business. Yeah, and the business is essentially providing affordable accommodation for tenants, correct? You want people to create wealth for themselves so you don't have to provide wealth for them in time to come. Which yeah. way do you want it? Yeah. You know? uh, it, it's, it's incredible how they bring these things in, then remove them. I'll tell you what you can remove. I was looking at it this morning. How about you remove payroll tax? Because I don't know why I pay payroll tax. And I have hundreds of employees yeah. and I pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to employ people. Yeah. So uh, I don't get that. It's a disincentive from being an employer, which is a goal of the government. To, to employ more people. Yeah. So it, it's really bizarre. The whole thing is really quite bizarre. Um, I'm sure payroll tax was introduced so many years ago for a particular reason, and then it became part of consolidated uh, revenue that they, they, they couldn't remove. Uh, but I do think that they've got to be careful. Uh, the state governments, particularly New South Wales state government, have, have a bundle of cash and a lot of those come from stamp duty on property transactions. Yeah. So you need to be aware of that and keep exactly. that in mind. Yeah, and if property prices are going back, the, the mm. revenue from the government is going to take a hit, so there's a lot of moving parts. Yep. Um, just before you go, Charles, I just wanted to ask you one last question. If there's one piece of advice you can give to property investors in, in building their portfolio and achieving yeah. their financial goals, what would that be? Uh, I would suggest to them that they're patient, that they don't rush in. Buying off the plan can be very dangerous. Uh, if you're not if you're not really educated to a changing market, uh, when you are buying an investment, buy it. Don't buy an investment that you would live in, uh, so, because you like it. Buy an investment because it's practical. You don't buy something that has a swimming pool in it because that's going to cost you a lot of money down the track. So you you look at, at properties that are affordable. You look at properties more importantly and most importantly that have a balance between rental income and capital growth. There's no point in having something in a mining town that gives you a massive rental return and then the capital growth disappears overnight. So it's critical that you uh, buy properties where tenants want to live and you buy properties and it's going to cost you a little bit more where capital growth is guaranteed because there are a significant number of potential buyers around should you wish to sell. Yeah, I think that's awesome advice. Thanks very much for joining us, Charles. Appreciate your time. Thank you.